everybody. This is Atkins. And this is Adam. And we are here bringing you another episode of Kyo Cinema. This week, we are covering the next Dragon Ball Z movie. Uh, the second one, if you're talking just about the Z movies, but our fifth episode, it's covering The World's Strongest, which originally aired in Japan March 10th, 1990, less than a year after Dead Zone did. Oh, wow. That's really cool. So it was pretty, pretty close after Dead Zone. These movies must have just... I wonder they had to have been popular enough. They were just like, hey, let's crank another one out next year. And they just kept doing it. Um, really cool bit of tidbit here. Bit of tidbit. Really cool bit of information here. The uh, movie is actually very similarly named to the second episode of the anime, which was named The World's Strongest Team. Oh, so sweet. pretty close. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. That's three quarters of its title is right there in the title of this movie. Unfortunately, Willow does not make an appearance in Dragon Ball Z, who is the main villain of this movie. But there are a lot of mad scientists in Dragon Ball World, apparently. So we're definitely going to talk about a few of them today. Okay, good. I hope you have a list. I can only think of like maybe one, one and a half in my head right now. <laughs> so don't put me yeah, on the spot yet. I'll be doing some just, mad it... Googling here in a minute. <laughs> well, why don't you say we go ahead and just jump right into it, man? We start talking about Piccolo being out in the cold, training... Uh, he is in this area named the Surama Subur Mountains, but it's kind of weird because depending on which version of the movie you watch, they don't even mention where they're at until like halfway through the movie, it doesn't seem like. That's true, and he's out here, just he, he says that he's just blasting away at mountains, which is a thing that he did in the last episode, or last uh, movie as well, I think, and he says uh, it's going to take some serious firepower to melt the ice off these mountains, so in my notes I just have, he's only trying to expedite global warming, <laughs> but really like he's the, He's the reason. Yeah, but really it's just a means of putting him in the same place as Gohan and Oolong. He's still up to his evil deeds. It's just uh, that long game, you know? That's right. Well, and we need to talk about Piccolo here. So let's talk about timeline really briefly before we get too far in this narrative, right? Uh, so this supposedly takes place sometime between the end of the Saiyan saga, so after Vegeta uh, and Nappa are defeated, and before uh, everybody finds themselves on Namek. And if that's true then Piccolo should be dead and the Dragon Balls should not work. But literally the, within the first five minutes of this movie, Piccolo is alive and the Dragon Balls are used to summon Shinron. So I have in my notes that this is like Schrodinger's Piccolo because he's supposed to be dead, but he's not dead. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's we also kind of are like privy to the fact that he got killed. I mean, like later on in the movie, we see flashbacks to this scene happening where he's protecting Gohan and dies. But maybe in this timeline, he just doesn't die. Like he's just, you know, passed out or like just waiting for the fight to be over or something. Um, you know, I found online someone was saying that this movie takes place after the Frieza saga, like before the androids during that three year period where they're training. But no, that seems totally crazy to me. Like there's no way. No, that doesn't uh, make any sense. We would have seen Super yeah, Saiyan if that were true. That's that's exactly what I was thinking. Uh, but you make a really good point. The other thing I have seen mentioned is that because Goku has the Kami mark on his breast and the Kaio mark on his back, it has to at least be after the Vegeta match because he's been trained by the two different uh, masters. So I don't know. I don't. I don't feel like this one really fits in super well with any of the timelines that we have previously discussed. Yeah, I think I am warming to your idea that these movies kind of take place in their own, like, canon as movies, and it might be something right. fun for us to kind of survey more closely going forward. Like, does the events of this movie agree entirely with the events of the movie that precede it? Uh, and 
will the events of the next and so on and so forth to see if they're if even the movies agree entirely as far as canon is concerned but on top of that a lot of these movies all of these movies really assume a lot that does actually take place as canon in the manga and the anime so there's going to be some weird overlap it's going to be this weird uh venn diagram of this is the stuff that it does assume and this is the stuff that cannot be true for this movie that's in the middle and the overlapped space to be what it is yeah, and I will say I do like the idea that if if all the movies are in their own canon, this one could take place and just they beat Vegeta, Nappa, no issues, Piccolo doesn't die, and they don't have to go to Namek. And this takes place, what, within like a year after the, the Vegeta saga, the Saiyan saga at the beginning of DBZ? I'm fine with that because I think it kind of leads up to the next two movies pretty well if you want to go that route. And, and basically, instead of our heroes going out and venturing into the universe, the universe finds them instead. Interesting. Interesting. Well, we'll, we'll maybe we'll keep a sharper eye on that stuff going forward, this, this idea of a movie timeline. But getting back to this movie's narrative, Gohan and Oolong are hunting for the Dragon Balls, and they discover that someone has already gathered five. And as they're looking at the dragon radar, this drove me nuts. They're looking at it, and they're like, oh, no, they have four. And then all of a sudden, without like traveling towards the group of four the fifth ball is just like poof suddenly there yeah and then the sixth, and then the one, sixth is, one is too yeah i was just like where are these balls coming from they're not traveling towards the group at all they're just like poop there there it is strange i'm convinced that they have uh like portal technology they were just like pooping all or poofing all over the uh the planet they had to have been it yeah because how are they even finding them i think it's safe to assume so the world's strongest is a very sci-fi movie um that is that is maybe its strongest flavor outside of martial arts beaming stuff um and so it's kind of a hand wavy thing to just be like yeah cochin and wheelio could have easily concocted whatever scientific doodad to do whatever it is that we think that they can't do and so it's just like whatever science (laughs) yeah it's kind of like how in my hero everything's explained away with quirks in this movie everything could just be explained away with science and saiyans right yeah, that needs to be a shirt. Science and Saiyans. <laughs> well, we've we've so, got a list of shirts like people in our discord were asking the other day when we were <laughs> going to make a, a couple of different shirts. So we might have to get on that. You mentioned the uh, the sci-fi. This is really interesting because the original dub in the 1998 version kept the Japanese soundtrack and they just did an English dub over top of it. And throughout the movie, there's almost no background music. Like when the fights are happening, all you hear are just the fight scenes or the fight, you know, cinematic sounds, I guess you could say. Uh, but it was really cool because Funimation's 2006 redub actually introduced this like whole new musical score by someone named Nathan Johnson. And it is very sci fi and it is really cool like if you happen to have the box set that's the version i highly recommend you watch because i think it adds a lot to the movie yeah i mean it fits the flavor it fits the the genre that this movie seems to fall into really well of of all the dragon ball z movies this is one of the most heavily leaning in the sci-fi direction uh titles i mean i could think of like Super Android 13 probably leans in that direction pretty good. Yeah. Bio Broly, I think, also does. And there's always a little yeah, bit sure. of sci-fi in, in all of Dragon Ball Z. I mean, technology is a pretty standard feature um, in all of the show and the movies as well. But I think this one leans pretty good into that genre. Yeah, you know, our main character is an alien. So sci-fi it is, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he's fighting a giant robot in this one, you know? Um, so Yeah, no joke. The... Oolong and Gohan are trying to find the Dragon Balls, um, in part, I guess, because they realize that 
the Dragon Balls were being collected. So Gohan asks yeah. Oolong what it is that he's going to ask for, and we all know. Uh, but there's it's kind of problematic. So he he he's wants more panties, but he can't make the same wish twice. Like that's one of Shenron's rules. So he'd have to make. Uh, some concessions regarding the material. So last time he wished for panties, he specifically asked for Egyptian cotton panties. But if he if he asked Shenron for like some silk panties, I think he could make that wish. Does that make sense? I think so too. Yeah, because he's been specific enough. It's not too broad. Right. But I also don't know that Oolong would have known that. I don't think they've been in a position yet where he's had that opportunity. I do like the idea that he's just got an eye on the dragon radar just waiting for someone to collect everything so he can sneak up on him and steal the wish though oh yeah he's a wish sniper that's how he made the first wish exactly he's kind of been like that's his through line for for all of these (laughs) well we the the seven balls are collected we're introduced to a character uh, who goes unnamed for a time but we're going to go ahead and name him here his name is dr cochin he's voiced by a guy named troy baker um who played ginger in dead zone which was the last movie um, and Cochin in this one, and we he we won't see him again as a voice actor until Wrath of the Dragon, which is a good way off from here. But he does summon Shinron, which usually happens at the end of these movies, happens within like the first three minutes of this one. Yeah, not only does he summon Shinron, but he gets off a wish. And this is one of the things that I've got in my notes that I'm not super sure what he wished for, because it's a complex wish. He says that he wants the dragon to melt the ice tomb that Dr. Wheelow is buried in so he can be brought back to life. So I believe what his wish actually is is that he is just melting the ice around this like massive fortress they have up in these mountains. However, the way it's stated, you could assume that the dragon also brought this doctor back to life. But later in the movie, it seems like their science did that. So I'm not sure. Right. I think that he was sustained by science. Uh, and that the wish was just to be freed from this icy tomb. But yeah, what this f- feels like a wasted wish. Like, why not just wish for the mind transfer into Roshi at that point? Like, exactly. If, if it's within the scientist's power to make this mind transfer, even if it is admittedly into the wrong person, because they would have done it for Roshi not knowing any better at the time, then surely it would have been within Shinron's power to do that thing. And it would have saved a whole lot of trouble, but it would have created a lot of problems for the good guys, admittedly. Well, and I think, like, you have to explain half of the motivations of these villains by just saying they wanted to do it with their science to prove that they could do it with their right. science. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because if they wished it away, well, that doesn't really prove that they could have done it. It was just magic, and that's not what they're intending to do here. Okay. Uh, and if you go that route, this movie makes a lot more sense, because there are plenty of times when you could have been like, but but Wheelow, you could have just done this instead and accomplished the same thing with a lot less steps. Sure. But contrary to that, they never prove actually that they can do the mind transfer thing themselves in this movie. It is an unproven theoretical concept this entire film. It's just this looming stick in the dark that they're like, oh, we can do this thing, but they have no evidence of it whatsoever. That's true. Well, they they transferred a mind out of a body into a robot, so I guess you could assume that it would be transferable out of the robot and into a human body again. Well, they took the but physical right. brain out, though. They're talk- I yeah. don't know if they're talking about swapping brains, and even if that was the case, Dr. Wheelow's brain in this film is it's depicted huge. As massive, there's no way they're squeezing that into Goku's skull. 
So well, what's really cool is like the original concept actually had a whole bunch of more body parts inside of his little mech suit, but they seem to have just explained it away as his brain evolved. That's the, what apparently the notes say. <laughs> it's so weird. Uh, the, the, it's one of the things that I'm like, so the whole point is they're wanting to transfer his mind. They could have done it with a wish. They don't actually prove that they can do it at all during the entire course of the movie. And then even if they could... Dr. Wheelow in that robot body proves himself to be stronger than anybody on the face of the earth outside of one technique from Goku. <laughs> so I'm like, why yeah. would you want to take on a skin and bones body that's all fragile and less resilient and powerful than the one that you're already in unless you just love flesh, I guess, which, you know, I could understand that, but they don't say anything remotely close to that the whole movie. There's also this weird part, too, where they're like, the whole reason we want Goku is because if we just destroy the world, then no one is left behind to be scared of us. At the same time, they're wanting to transfer Wheelow's brain into Goku to do the destroying. So I'm like, what, what's your angle here, guys? Yeah, it's, the, the plot is a, a little all over the place. But we do get the title card here, and if you are epileptic, at all have propen- Don't if watch you have it. a propensity to endure to have seizures do not watch the title yeah. card of this movie because it comes out of nowhere and it is relentless <laughs> it's super yeah. violent like just flashing white to black i don't know how that made that past like that should have not been that way for sure. It was uh, definitely filmed before that Pikachu incident in the Pokemon anime. Because <laughs> oh, I think right. that was what like introduced the whole standards or laws behind flashing in movies and TV shows. Yeah, woof. I mean, but these the DVDs even that we're watching right now were produced past that. There should have been like some, some sort of warning somewhere, and I do not recall seeing one. I feel like the directors were probably just like, eh, anyone that's watching these probably watched it as a kid. If they survive that, they'll be fine. Yeah, well, they might not be wrong. Well, we pick right back up after the intro with basically explaining that these two doctors have come back in. They have been gone for 50 years. Um, the intro is really cool because it, it shows Gohan running along Shinron just like all the other intros, but it does kind of show some stuff from the Vegeta Nappa saga uh, just occasionally and like a few scenes from Piccolo's training with Gohan, which seems weird that they would include that if it didn't take place after all of those events, which furthers my kind of idea that maybe they're all in the same canon and things just happened a little bit differently. Uh, but I thought that it would have been really neat if they had actually just recapped some of those things directly instead of it being like an intro. Do you remember, um, I think it was the second Dragon Ball movie that did that. Like they just had the kids training yeah, montage, yeah. basically. It would have been cool if they had done something like that, I thought. That was pretty great. But uh, Oolong and Gohan have climbed up to the top of this mountain. They have found this fortress, and they are trying to figure out, like, okay, well, what do we do? I mean, the fortress is here. Someone's already summoned Shinron. You know, should we leave? Should we just go on and go home? And as they're deciding what to do, a couple of Cybermen, like, bum rush Gohan. They don't touch Oolong, of course. Why would they do anything against him? But Gohan gets taken out pretty much immediately. Piccolo comes out of nowhere and is able to take out two of the Cybermen. Uh, so there's definitely some activity, like, immediately right off the bat here. Yeah, so these Biomen are Cybermen-like, um, slightly different, but there's some very clear uh, copy copy and paste elements, kind of, uh, to those yeah. two characters. And they're actually voiced by folks who would go on to be much larger roles in Dragon Ball Z um, and Kai and Super. So they're voiced by these two guys named Chris Kaysen and John Bergmeier. Um, Chris Kaysen does Shu, Popo, and Tien up through Super, or up to Super. Um, oh, and cool. Bergmeier um, ends up being Tien in Kai and Onward. 
Um, so uh, this, I think this is where they kind of got their start in the series. I didn't double check, but I think that that's true. Um, but yeah, go or Piccolo whoops all four of these uh, biomens, but including dispatching one with a mouth beam, which happens which more than once sick. in this movie. And it's so awesome. Every mouth beam, yeah. instant classic, in my opinion. Um, but then he gets beamed from below. It's super weird how it's presented. At first, I thought it looked like he was powering up, which is, yeah, you know, problematic with the way that Dragon Ball Z powering up is depicted. It looks like they're in pain, but they're getting real strong. Um, but it it's not that, and it's it's just this pink b- beam that erupts from beneath the floor. This happens later in a way that makes more sense than it does in this particular instance. But whatever that beam was, uh, and we're we're led to believe that it was like this capture beam almost like um almost like the the little guns from ghostbusters that they were able to like ghost trap piccolo and can restrain him so that they could put this little mind device thing on him that we run into later but whatever it was beam or something yeah, yeah like whatever it was out in the middle of the snow for some reason uh it ends up burying oolong and gohan um who later kind of wake up and are like well that was weird but we can't tell anybody about it and then just go home yeah, yeah, Gohan's like, well, why would Piccolo protect me and then disappear? And Oolong's just like, all right, we'll promise we're not going to tell anyone about this kid, especially your mom. I don't want to make her worry, <laughs> which is just great. Like, it, the next scene is Chi-Chi being like, Gohan, where have you been? You've been gone for three days. And she's upset. She's telling Goku about it. And he's like, ah, he's a good kid. Don't worry about him. And, you know, they're they're obviously getting kind of into it a little bit because Chi-Chi's like, well, no, he needs discipline. Like, this is not okay. And I got to say, if my son just disappeared for three days and came home and didn't tell me where he'd been, I'd be like, what is going on? Like that, It was just so funny to me. This this interaction just seemed hysterical. Like Knowing Chi-Chi being the overbearing mother that she is, I can't believe that she wasn't trying to figure out more and that they just let this go. And so in my notes, I just have, these are the worst parents ever. <laughs> well, Chi-Chi does sneak in a pretty sick burn against Goku because she says to him, he needs an education to make it in the real world, but you wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, dang, son. Somebody yeah, called 911. Which, There's some spousal abuse going on in this domestic dispute. That's kind of a through line now, too. I feel like Chi-Chi's always unhappy with Goku because he's never got money and like he's never providing. He's just always out fighting. He, he's not even home when his second child is born. He's off dead like training. So, you know, it makes sense. Yeah, well, you got to remember, too, that she basically grew up a princess. And so I think that whatever... Whatever image she has of how life is supposed to be, she's so used to having it exactly that way that to have this chaos element that is Goku introduced into that just ruins everything or at least shakes things up because, I, you know, they stay married. She had every opportunity at any time to be like, you know what, you deadbeat dad, I'm out, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's um, true. but she doesn't. I mean, she she stays with him, which is probably for the best. Goku needs an anchor, an anchoring point, not to say that she's the old ball and chain, but an anchoring point like Chi Chi, something steady keep him grounded yeah you've got a really good point well while gohan is studying he ends up drifting off falling asleep and we get this episode or this movie's uh gohan moment where there's like a really funny song that plays while gohan kind of like trips acid in this case he's just sleeping but i feel like almost every early dragon ball z movie has this thing where they use gohan in these funny like trippy moments yeah, I don't remember how many more movies we're going to get to see this. I knew there was th- this one, and he's just daydreaming about school and fighting, like being being at home and having to do the responsible thing and off, also traveling the world with his best friend, Mr. Piccolo. And the song in Japanese, like when they translate it in the uh, subtitles, is uh, it's called I Love Mr. Piccolo. 
And the chorus just goes, off, off, off goes Piccolo. It's as exciting as waiting for snack time. Off, off, off goes Piccolo. Hey, hey, he's so strong. He's really, really strong. I love Mr. Piccolo. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> well, what's crazy is like this whole bit here is really cheerful and happy and exciting. And then all of a sudden it just kind of takes this deep, dark turn where it's Piccolo dying and getting hit with like these key blasts. And I mean, even the music that is playing, depending on which version you're watching, kind of takes a sick twist to it. So I just thought it was a, a, a little bit of a weird nightmarish-esque kind of turn, you know? Yeah, but he gets shaken awake by his mom in just the nick of time, right? So uh, that scene lasts for a couple seconds. Yeah, and she thinks this is funny that he like fell asleep while he's studying. Like she's like, "Oh, my son, he's just becoming such a delinquent." Yeah, she's she's she never gets off of the Gohan needs to be a student and grow up to be a uh, what is it they wanted to be a podiatrist. Um, oh, I don't remember. Yeah, a doctor of some kind. Yeah, so we, we cut away from there. Uh, we catch back up with folks at Kami House. Oolong is being forced to cook because he broke dragon uh, Bulma's dragon radar, but he burns the food, so they go to order takeout. And then there's a ring at the doorbell, which seems awfully fast, uh, but it's no delivery man. Instead, it is uh, the Cybermen, the bio men in this particular movie, and they say that they've come uh, to grab Roshi. Now, the house is filled with smoke because of this burnt food, and when the doorbell rings in the English, Roshi says, get that, would you? I'm a little busy from inside of the bathroom. And he says it with that, like, weird, horny old man slyness yeah. that's non-existent in the Japanese. In the Japanese, he's just coughing from the smoke and says he'll be right there. Um, yeah. So the English really? is always making Roshi hornier than he actually is. Yeah, like, way to perv it up. He doesn't need any more of a, that kind of a recognition, you know? Yeah. So he, go, he does eventually make it to the door. And the bio men are like, well, you need to come with us to go see Dr. Wheelio. He calls for you. And Roshi's like, no, nah, that doesn't work for me. And he turns his back on them, which is so gangster. I love when good guys are like, whatever, you're so beneath me. I don't even have to keep my eyes on you. <laughs> and then they jump him and he one hit KOs them all, kind of. They do end up like gathering themselves back together and capturing Bulma shortly. But then Dr. Cochin comes up out of this the ocean. <laughs> Like he's out he's of just nowhere. There. Yeah. yeah. That's why I think he has portal techniques. Like he has <laughs> he has something that is just sending him all over the planet. Cuz I mean the ship that they that they came in uh, uh, like rises from the ocean short like after this, but he just is just there and wasn't noticed before. But anyway, he's just like, "Well, you you did a good job. You need to come with us anyway." And to convince Roshi to go, they have the biomen grab Bulma, and Bulma of course is uh very interested in keeping her own life so she says i think you should accept his invitation it would be rude not to so the bad guys in this movie take a superfluous hostage again why in the world are they taking these people that they don't need that's a good question well you could kind of make the assumption though that like they were gonna have bulma i guess hook up with dr wheelo once he gets transferred over i mean he wants a, a girl it seemed like they do do this weird like slave leia thing with her later on in this movie but kind of yeah I think that they could have easily just been like, okay, Roshi's here and we have the ability to overwhelm him, which they prove here shortly. So just ditch the girl or let her go or kill her or whatever. But they keep her just chained up as like decoration for this creepy sci-fi base that they have. She's really important though, because without her, they wouldn't have gotten Goku. So. Well, yeah, that's true. Again, she's Not she's only early, in the movie to, so that there is a movie. Like that's the, right. <laughs> that's the yeah. argument to be made with regards to Bulma. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately. Well, and and then we kind of transition to this scene where like Oolong is reporting into Goku, and it's just like, yeah, they took everyone. 
They took Roshi and they took the girl. And Goku is in like a canister on top of a fire taking what I assume would be an incredibly hot bath. Uh, which I guess is okay because he's a Saiyan. But I don't know. The whole scene is just kind of funny because he's like, I don't know. They're probably fine. I'm not worried about them. They're pretty formidable people. I love this too because I have in my notes that Goku's got to be thinking, I can't fish. I can't take a bath. When do I get <laughs> <Yeah>. some me time? <laughs> it's like We every... didn't open the movie with him fishing. That's uh, the, first, the first time. Yeah, but it was just like every time he's trying to do the mundane, you know, uh, stay-at-home dad thing, somebody goes and gets kidnapped and he's got to go fight some folks. Yeah, that's a really good point. I hadn't considered that. He always does get interrupted, or at least up until this point, he has been. Uh, but we see Chi-Chi and Goku kind of just give in Oolong and Gohan the what for. They're trying to get all the information they can out of them. And Goku's like, all right, well, I got to go. And then he hops on the flying Nimbus, which I thought was weird, because at this point, he should be able to fly, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And he can. should be able to fly way faster than the Nimbus. So I don't know. It just seems like they kept the Nimbus almost like the Nimbus is a Pikachu. You know, like it's supposed to be some sort of symbol, but the Nimbus goes away in the anime like really, really early on, it seems like. It does. I can't remember if we see it in the next movie, but I do know that this is the last time we see the uh, power pole the, used the power in any pole. of the movies. Yeah. So it becomes a relic after uh, the world's strongest. And it shouldn't be there anyway, because like you said, it's propping up Kami's lookout or whatever. Right, right. Yep. Well, we go back over to the mad scientist lab where they've got Roshi and Bulma and they've got them in this like really dark area. And uh, they're saying like, hey, let Bulma go. She's not a fighter. And she says this funny thing like, yeah, I'm just Bulma. And just the way she said it was so goofy. I'm like, OK, Bulma, we, that's all you can say is you're just Bulma. Come on. Uh, but it, it cracked me up. And so Velo is explaining that they have brought Roshi here basically to fight off to be the world's strongest to to see him fight. And uh, Roshi is seeing these fighters that took out Piccolo from earlier. And we're introduced to them kind of like pretty much immediately uh, in this scene, which is unlike most of the other villains. I feel like half the time they don't even get a name. They don't get an intro uh, or anything. It, like if we're even blessed with that at all, it feels like. But it is kind of funny because it's this like slow-mo running montage where they're they're being introduced. It it felt very Baywatchy, like and Roshi yep. almost sees them in slow slow-mo as well. It's the same thing that they did in Dead Zone, where they did a lot yeah. of Baywatch running with the uh with the, the the trio of bad guys. Same thing. And the the biomen in this one are named Kashime, Miku Katsun, and Ibifiria. Uh, some pretty cool names, which are all actually like foods from the area that uh, Akira Toriyama, I guess, lived in or grew up in, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, and I've got some voice actor knowledge to drop on you here. So Dr. Wheelow is voiced by a guy named R. Bruce Elliott, who, interestingly enough, voices Ginyu and Kai. Um, so he voices two different characters that are trying to take over Goku's body. How about that? Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And he also voices the Shie Hisaikai boss in My Hero Academia. But I barely remember that guy. So he had like three whatever. lines, it's you know. Um, Kishime is this uh, is voiced by Chris Rager, who we've talked about before because he was the voice of Major Metalatron in Mystical Adventure uh, okay. and traditionally voices uh, Mr. Satan, King Yemma. Uh, and he will play three other villain roles in three more Dragon Ball Z movies yet to come. 
The guy who plays uh, Miso Katsun is Robert McCollum. He plays older Goten in Dragon Ball Z and GT, and he plays five more Dragon Ball Z movie villains <laughs> yet to come. And Dang. he voices Stain in My Hero Academia. Really? Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, boy. Favorite, uh, one of my favorite characters from that series. And then the guy who uh, is Ebifria. Uh, uh, is Matthew Tompkins, and he doesn't have much work on his resume, to be honest. But interestingly enough, he is literally the only one of the three bio fighters with a speaking part in this entire movie. The rest of them just make grunty noises, I guess. But Ibifria says something at some point. I don't remember what it was. Yeah, I don't remember what it is either. And to give the audience a bit of a visual, I'm hoping you've seen the movie or are about to watch along after you have listened to us. But Kashime is this kind of like small green frog looking guy that has a special move where he has tendrils like form around his arms. Miku Katsun is a, what would you say, like, he's got to be like eight feet tall and eight feet wide, like rubbery yellow alien looking guy. And Abifiria is, I mean, I felt like he looked like a 90s punk. He had like a, uh, he had a mohawk and he kind of had like some like leather on. Like, I don't know. He just looked like a 90s punk to me. Yeah. And these guys are supposed to be the perfect fighters trained in all schools of combat to which Roshi responds. I bet I can still teach them a thing or two. Give it your best shot because Roshi's hard like that. Roshi's uh, so and cool. To the surprise of Cochin, Roshi is actually holding his own to begin with. He's all dodging and blocking everything until he blasts uh, a Kamehameha at Misukatsun. Um, but Misukatsun's power is that he can just reflect everything. So it kind of hits into his body and looks like it's going to shoot out the other end, but instead kind of bounces back towards Roshi. And he does manage to dodge that, um, but Abifria manages to punch him a couple times and then Kishime electrocutes him and he goes down and he says this line I love this too he says didn't didn't you teach them any manners you got to respect your elders which is called back in resurrection f which is coincidentally the next Dragon Ball Z movie that Roshi even fights in so in this one all of these movies resurrection f and in those two movies he says that line you got to respect your elders great great callback I didn't even realize that until I was rewatching this that is really cool. I got to say, I noted this down. Uh, this fight, the 2006 sci-fi dub music is incredible. Like, if anything, go watch this fight. I really like this one a lot. So after Roshi has been taken out, Cochin uh, is basically coming up and talking about what his plans are and, and is talking about finding the world's strongest when Bulma says, well, hey, I just want to way stronger than this. Like, if you think Roshi's strongest, maybe 30 years ago, but not anymore. And he explains that he is Dr. Uh, Wheelow's assistant. And it's kind of weird because Balma's like, oh, yeah, I studied you guys in school. But there's no way that you're who you say you are because you guys fell victim to an avalanche 50 years ago. You should be dead. And they go into this whole thing about how they were able to escape death via their genius technology. And they, I think this is when they actually show a scene of Cochin like transferring Wheelow's brain into some like mechanical pieces and parts in the background, which it was a really cool screenshot here, actually. Uh, but Bulma basically goes into great detail about how these, these scientists have done some really bad experiments or dark experiments is what I think she says. Uh, but after they have heard about Goku, they have decided, okay, well, we, we got to get Goku out here. Like he sounds like he's the best. And that's exactly what happens. Like he shows up pretty much immediately. Yeah. And they also like show Bulma, uh, they flex on her a little bit. They're like, well, we burn this city to ash as an exercise of our power. As the power of this new device is but a small sample. And we could wipe out all the life on the planet in the blink of an eye if we want to. 
and that doesn't really ever come back up again. It's, it's yeah, so I hated weird. that. Yeah, it I, feels I, I think weird. It's like it's that empty. Weird, yeah, I think it's tied to that like weird power pillar thing that nobody talks about, but is used later on in the movie. I don't know, but anyway. Goku's on the scene. We find out that Gohan has run off from home again, but at least he was nice enough to fold his clothes. He's done put on his fighting clothes and then stole a plane. This miner is yeah. running away from home and committing uh, Grand Theft Auto at the same time. He's 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 breaking bad just as Chi-Chi feared. Um, but Goku gets there and he's like, tell me what you did with Roshi and Bulma. He's standing on the outside of this, uh, whatever you call it, building. And uh, Cochin's like, well, they're in here with me. Come and find them. And then he tells, Cochin tells the bio warriors to just search and destroy. So one of them, uh, the the fat blubbery one that has the reflective powers, uh, Misukatsun, erupts out of the ice beneath Goku. Um, Goku falls into the water. And then he does this funny, like, backflip thing where he busts his, he, like, ends up on his face, um, which ended up being a part of the Rock the Dragon intro, I think. There were a couple scenes from this movie that were in the Rock the Dragon info or intro, which we need to include in the show notes. For sure. Especially if you've never heard the Rock the Dragon intro, or if you don't know what we're talking about, because it's the best intro. It's so epic. It still bums me out that, to my knowledge, I own all of the Dragon Ball Z stuff on Blu-ray, and to my knowledge, there isn't the option to select that as your intro for every episode. And because if it were an option, I 100% would. Yeah, no joke. It's it's pretty epic. So to pick back up with the fight after he is able to like do these backflips and get away from Misokutsen, I'm going to butcher that name a thousand times, I'm sure. I'm going to call him the big yellow guy, uh, Mr. Mustard. But whenever he is, <laughs> he's able to dodge a handful of times, he ends up like basically running into this cave. I mean, he, and he's talking about how it's so cold, he can't actually control his powers. Uh, but this was another area where the music gets really, really good if you're listening to the dub. And it's funny because he ends up in this weird area where like all of these spinning balls like have spikes emerge from them and they're attacking him left and right. And he's, he's dodging them and he starts trying to blast them away. But out of nowhere, uh, the Mr. Mustard, as I'm going to call him, comes out of nowhere, just totally slugs him hard. And he, he starts getting uh, pretty messed up, I think. And he's trying to fight him, but he mentions that it's like fighting a marshmallow. There's just no, no getting around it. Uh, and this is where we kind of see our first power up of the movie. He, he goes, uh, Kaioken just times one gets a little bit strong enough to actually burst through this guy entirely. So it just totally wipes him out and he deflates to the ground in this really funny little scene, like a, like a balloon. Exactly like a balloon. And in the English, he says, looks like I take, I uh, took the air right out of that guy, which, you know, I hated, uh, in yes. the Japanese, he's just like, I guess I've warmed up a bit, which I appreciated much more because it wasn't so punny. Well, he goes on to like pretty much just, one punch Ibafiria and then Kashime shows up and he's zipping all over the place. But uh, it's, it's kind of interesting because for the first time in this movie, at least Goku is like, wow, this guy's kind of hard to keep up with. Uh, but it seems like he starts to kind of pick back up, hold his own for a minute. And then they start double teaming him. Ibafiria comes out of nowhere and they just start wrecking him. And he, he has a pretty hard time here at this point. Uh, these guys also start introducing like some elemental blasts. It's like they're freezing him in place and hitting him with electricity and stuff. These, these fight scenes are really well done. And right as they are about to probably take him out, they've got him trapped out of nowhere. He is rescued by Gohan who comes in dressed as Piccolo and with him is Goku's best buddy Krillin. Yeah, they intervene just as Goku is about to be totally uh, encapsulated in ice from Ibifria. Um, they 
block the last little ice beam that would have sealed him all the way up. And then uh, Kishime, the green guy, sprouts a bunch of wires from his body and attacks with these electrical whips, which isn't totally weird because he is a robot. Uh, so then the two of them, uh, the two, so they they ended up being electrocuted, Gohan and Krillin do, and the two of them are just screaming in pain, which fires up Goku. Uh, and so he uses the Kaioken to uh, blast out of the ice. But in the meantime, uh, Krillin and Gohan, man, their screams from uh, Kishime's electricity attacks there. It's illustrated very particularly in my brain because I grew up playing Turtles in Time, the uh, the Super Nintendo game, I believe it was. Oh, yeah, yeah. And when you get electrocuted in that as a Ninja Turtle, your body, like there's a very specific uh, sprite that they use for that. And part of that sprite is it looks like the turtle's jaws totally unhinge. So you're like got giant Pac-Man mouth. And that's what Gohan and Krillin have in this particular scene. I'll see if I can't find a picture of what I'm talking about and add it to the show notes as well. But they're in absolute pain. And uh, I just have on my notes, they got a case of the Ninja Turtle mouths. But uh, Goku, Kaioken bursts out of the ice just a screaming, at least in the English. I thought that this was strange. So I track the uh, holler minutes in the English dub. Uh, and there's a lot of seconds added to that particular total from this one scene in the English. It was way less screaming in the Japanese because in that really? particular scene in the Japanese, Goku's mouth is a cape but there's no screaming to be found in it. It's like this huh. awkward silence um, at, at the very end of it, at least. That's actually really interesting. Well, his aura alone, the Kaioken aura is enough to push through the next attempted ice beam and he knocks Pinky out. And then he proves two pass for Kishime, uh, Ki- uh, Kishime, who was the green guy who had been proven too fast for Goku earlier. Uh, and then this is the point where Wheelow is like, that's the one, that's the body that I want. Yeah, after he takes those twos out, Wheeler's just like, all right, got to get him. That's the one. You know, I got to say, in regards to Gohan and Krillin being shocked, like, there's no amount of training you can do to prepare yourself for that. Getting shocked just sucks. Like, you can take a thousand punches and be ready for the thousand and one punch, but you can't get, like, I just can't imagine you can train yourself up to being shocked like that, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, in even total Saiyans are going to get shocked and just totally suck it up. It's going to suck. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I'm in total agreement. I, I don't belittle them at all for screaming as they did because they were being electrocuted. Totally get it. Yeah. Well, anyways, so Wheelow is wanting to take over Goku's body, and he believes that he's going to be able to take over the world with his cunning mind and this incredibly strong body. There's no way he can't do it. And we see, like, Gohan and Krillin running down the hallway. They're looking for Roshi and Bulma. They're following Goku. And we keep seeing these, like, red uh, video eyes. And, you know, we've mentioned that this movie is sci-fi-esque. Everything about it really does feel like a reference to sci-fi. Like, this felt very much so like Hal from Space Odyssey. The fortress in general kind of feels like some of the uh, alien spaceships from the Alien movies, like, especially the more recent ones. Um, Even when we see Wheelow's, like, mech, it looks like an alien. So there's a lot of really cool references here to some classic sci-fi movies. Absolutely. And uh, they, the three of them fly up to find Bulma all chained up like Slave Leia and surrounded by a force field that shocks Goku. And I was like, how did anybody else get up there? If they had to fly, how is anybody else up there? But anyway, um, Goku portals, demands man. to know portals. Yeah, that's exactly it. They're <laughs> scientists, whatever they could. They could, could jigger whatever they want. Um, yeah. So Goku demands to know where Roshi is. And Cochin actually tells them that he's being prepared to become one of the bio warriors himself. Uh, Bulma starts talking some mad trash about the bad guy's ethics and physical appearances, even 
um, which Kosin is just like, you know what, whatever. Uh, our our bodies have died, but our minds live on. And now, thanks to the Dragon Balls, we can achieve uh, we can achieve our dreams. And Wheelo's just like, with my genius and your power, talking to Goku now, he says we'll be unstoppable. And I just have in my notes, my creepy paraphrase would like to really ruin this moment in the movie would have been Dr. Wheelo looking at Goku or, you know, I don't pointing his brain at Goku. I don't know that he has eyeballs and just, <laughs> just saying, I want your body. I want your body. Give me your but body. Goku, that is yeah, funny. Goku just says, I don't think so. <laughs> because <laughs> as few words as he could use to, to communicate what it, what it is that he feels. That's what Goku does. <laughs> and so Cochin is just like, it's painless and you'll be quite a bit smarter than you are now. So in my notes, I just have number one, that wouldn't take much. And number two, you might also run into the Ginyu problem, which is, yeah, your mind and that body, but unable to access the power that Goku actually has um, in potential inside of his body, thanks to his techniques. Uh, so Goku's just like, he does the Goku thing again. I'm just here to rescue my friends. Um, but this time he does also say he's going to finish them off. So uh, this, this becomes problematic immediately because Goku becomes enshrouded in that pink beam which makes way more sense coming from inside of this space uh, craft room building, whatever it is, rather than it just erupting out of icebergs beneath Piccolo earlier. Um, but it's also Portals. accompanied by some wires. And I guess it's them trying to, again, restrain him so that they could do the mind transfer thing. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. It does seem like it makes more sense here. Like if if it was shown as a power coming from one of the henchmen then I can see it coming from up under that ice. You know, like if it was Mitsukune or something, but it's not. It's just something else, so. When Piccolo erupts out of the ground, uh, and he's got this cool golden tiara-like thing on top of his head. I say tiara kind of diminutively. It's kind of designed to look like his veins, but it's definitely a crown of some kind. And it kind of looked like roots, like uh, yeah. tree roots, you know? And the movie thinks that we're real dumb. Like, I get that Goku is. Because they keep, there's a lot of camera focus on this golden thing as if like, hey guys, one of the, one of these things doesn't belong. Can you spot it? Can you tell <laughs> yeah. what's different about Mr. Piccolo? And it's His the golden thing. His eyes are thing. red too. Like they focus yeah, he, on a lot of the obvious things here. Yeah. Um, but Goku's able to break out of the bonds. Gohan goes up to thank Piccolo for helping them out, but he just gets backhanded like across the room and yeah. Piccolo sheds the weighted clothing immediately, which means, you know, he has business. And uh, in, at the end of the last movie, when uh, Piccolo says, you know, Goku will have to have our settle our differences later. I've said that that's that's a hint toward to a fight that we never see, thinking only about the anime canon in which they never really have that fight. But one movie later, I'm here eating crow because this is the fight I said never come uh, would never come, but totally does. It's Piccolo yeah. versus Goku. <laughs> Yeah, I think I said the same thing last movie, too, and here it was. But that's kind of, uh, you know, in our fashion. It's always right around the corner when we don't think it is. Uh, but you know what's funny is, like, when, when Piccolo goes to actually fight Goku here, Krillin just totally ducks out, doesn't even try. He just, like, slams his head into the ground totally like an ostrich. It was re it really cracked me up. Like, he's just not even willing to try and fight off Piccolo. Uh, but this is where some really creepy sci-fi dubstep kicks in. It's great. Go check it out. And uh, we we see Krillin, like, catching up with Bulma. I mean, we know he's not going to bother trying to fight Piccolo. Bulma's had enough. She wants to get out of this fortress. She wants to be done. She she doesn't want to be, you know, restricted at all anymore, but there's no way that Krillin can get her out. And even she's like, well, we got to cut the power somehow, but they're not really super sure how to do that. And we get this lot of back and forth between Piccolo and Goku fighting and Gohan just begging him to stop and kind of being an idiot, like realizing that 
go realizing that Piccolo is not stopping, but continuing to go after him while his father screams at him like, hey, don't do that. He's going to hurt you. And so Gohan gets kicked around a lot in this episode or in this movie. For not listening. Like that's For not the, listening. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. Uh, he keeps butting in and Piccolo eventually goes for a beam. And I loved the visuals here. He gets like point blank up against Gohan and goes to fire beam. And Goku gets over there just in time and, re- and directs it away from Gohan. Uh, I really like that. I don't recall ever seeing anything similar to that um, in the anime. So it was really cool to see. But yeah. Gohan at this point, after taking so many backhands from Piccolo, gets pissed at Dr. Wheelow because he it's all his fault that they're in the predicament that they're in. So he begins to power up. And Wheelow tells Cochin to stop making Gohan angry. Uh, but Cochin just keeps making jokes about his mama. In fact, in the Japanese, he tells Gohan to go home and suck on your mama's teats. <laughs> <laughs> so Cochin tries to fire this beam through a walking stick. I think at Krillin, maybe? Um, it might have been at Gohan. I can't recall. I didn't note it correctly. But it does him no favors. And then we get two of my favorite visual uh, tropes in all of Dragon Ball Z in, inside of like two minutes. The first one is, is Gohan is powering up and he creates a sphere, a perfect spherical depression on the ground beneath him. I love that. Every time I see it in Dragon Ball Z, one of my favorite things. Uh, and then Krillin squares off with Cochin and Cochin just rips his hand off basically and it yeah. turns into a cannon and starts shooting it at Krillin and, and Krillin does the barely outrunning bullets thing. Another one of my favorite visual gags in all of Dragon Ball Z. Um, and this is where Roshi makes his, uh, his presence known again. He comes in, chops off Cochin's arm cannon uh, and then Piccolo's crown thingy just falls off, I guess, because Gohan was hollering. I mean, well, that's kind of the only because, thing. I think it's because Cochin accidentally shoots some, I put them in my notes as mainframes, which is what knocks out the power fueling Bulma's cell. Uh, and I assumed was powering Piccolo's like weird tiara root control things. That makes more sense. I called them head thorns in my, in my notes, just for anyone out there that cares. <laughs> Well, it turns out that Wheelow isn't just an encased brain attached to the wall, but is a giant robot himself, which means that there was a really poor design decision made to just build him into the wall. Um, but he does break out of it, and he sends Cochin falling to his death as he's falling down next to this pillar that gets no explanation whatsoever throughout the movie. Uh, the energy starts leaping from the pillar and zaps Cochin, revealing him to be fully robot which means that he made some poor aesthetic choices. So not only did they make poor design choices, like engineering uh, it so that Dr. Wheelow was physically a part of the wall, but then they went and made, they had the opportunity to make Dr. Cochin look like anything or anyone, and they go for creepy old man uh, as the the skin that they equip on their character. See, here's what I was going to ask you. So I feel like there's two things that could be happening here. Cochin may not even be aware that that was a choice. Like, does he know he's a robot? Because he talks as if he is one of the creators and it, near the beginning of the movie, but then near the end, it kind of transfers into this like, oh, well, I'm Wheelow's assistant. You know what I mean? And so it could be from the get-go that Wheelow built him to not realize that he was actually a robot. That's kind of my how did he know that his arm was a cannon, though? It was like last minute he had to protect himself. Like, you know, it was like secondary programs kicked in or something. Ah, that could make some sense, I guess. Yeah, because it it is kind of interesting that like Bulma is aware of an assistant Cochin. So it's possible that at one point in time, Cochin was a human. Maybe Wheelow killed him and turned him into an android or a robot or something. I don't know. Or, I mean, I guess the alternative is to think that Wheelow created himself a robotic assistant 
and somehow was able to fabricate some sort of aging exosuit skin whatever for him but i don't know that that makes as much sense to me Um, yeah but wheelo breaks out of the wall he his robot form is uh, bipedal it's it's got a tail kind of like frieza and giant claw uh, like crab claw hands it looks very xenomorphy uh and so now it's five versus one which the odds seem like they're going to be good but they they the, the numbers lie a little bit here yeah, no joke. Piccolo goes to like attempt to take out this mech suit, and when he does, I mean, Wheelo just paralyzes him like midair. He doesn't even get his attack off, and he's able to take out Roshi and Krillin relatively early. I mean, they do a Kamehameha blast with Goku, so it's the three of them, but it doesn't do anything to him, and the mech lands like right in the middle of their attack squad, and it just kicks Roshi and then blasts Krillin, so they're pretty much immediately out. Uh, Gohan pulls the power pole and it tries to do something, but he doesn't get anything either. In fact, he is conveniently flung right into Piccolo's arms, who's no longer paralyzed for some reason. Like, I guess he got out of the way. That seemed kind of weird to me. Uh, but, I mean, everyone at this point is definitely struggling. Uh, Piccolo even takes Gohan, who's knocked out, to go be with Krillin and Bulma because he's not going to be able to help at this point. Uh, so it's Goku and Piccolo who are trying to square off against Wheelo. I mean, it gets pretty nasty here, though. Yeah, Go Gohan gets bodied by the tail. Goku grabs the power pole um, that had fallen from Gohan's hand, uh, causes it to expend, uh, extend so that he trips up Wheelo, and then Piccolo does this giant beam assault from above, and he smirks after he's done, but then Wheelo just erupts from the, uh, the, the I guess, the, the light and the smoke caused by these beams and just smashes Piccolo into the ceiling. Yeah. So Goku goes Kaioken times three and starts jumping all over the room, and he's punching off, he punches off one arm, I think, of Wheelo. Yeah. Um, and then he fires a Kamehameha at him uh, at Kaioken times three. It is met by some sort of beam that emits from Dr. Wheelo, and they're kind of in this beam struggle until Goku shouts, you can't win, and goes Kaioken times four, and sends uh, Wheelo flying out into space. But he says it's not over yet. It is interesting to note here, too, that he doesn't explicitly say he's going Kaioken times four like he does with times three. It's just assumed. Like, if, if you have the translations on, it mentions it. But in the English, it didn't say that specifically. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. And he's also shirtless afterwards. Like, I yeah. guess that's like a a requisite, you know? <laughs> Goku always loses his shirt. It's his thing. That is his thing, yeah. Uh, but like you said, Krillin seems to think that he did it, uh, but Goku says, hey, like I can still feel his presence. He's out there. He's still alive. In fact, he, he starts warning everybody, like, go ahead and get out of here because he can feel Wheelo powering up, and Wheelo does. He's like up in space, and he's going to focus his energy on destroying the planet, which kind of begs the question, if he could destroy the planet the whole time with his current suit, and that was his goal, why didn't he just do it? You know, like kind of one of those things you have to say okay well maybe he just wanted to prove his science and transfer into goku's body but i mean if his goal was to destroy the world he could have done it it sounds like yeah i don't think that his goal was to destroy the world so much as to subjugate it and this is kind of like a well if i can't have it nobody can yeah that's but fair. it is kind of it does make it funny where goku's like get out of here he's about to blow up the world i'm like well, where are they yeah. supposed to go? <laughs> right. <laughs> the yeah. whole world's about to get exploded, Goku. Where are they supposed to go? Yeah. I'd rather be at ground zero, to be honest. Um, yeah. 
so Goku uh, instead starts. Uh, he says that there is only his his last remaining trump card. The only thing he has left to do is to do the spirit bomb. So he begins asking the world to lend him its energy. Uh, and so a bunch there are like you know typical spirit bomb shots of landscapes um and they don't show like the light kind of coming up from it from people and plants and all that stuff in this movie so much as the there are still landscape shot uh shots and then they just get wavy Ooh, yeah um, it's like it's like then, if you've ever played magic the gathering like a whole bunch of planes were put on the field yeah and then goku shouts spirit bomb but Wheelo just starts blasting before goku can actually throw the spirit bomb so goku appears to be down for the moment but we know you know, if you watch the uh, anime, which kind of the Saiyan, the end of the Saiyan saga is kind of paralleled here, that it's not like Goku lost it necessarily. He's still in possession of it. Um, but Gohan is mad all over again. He blasts up into the air to confront Dr. Wheelo. Piccolo goes with him. Um, so Gohan does the patented San family headbutt to Dr. Wheelo, and then Piccolo does another awesome mouth beam, and then Krillin comes out of nowhere, and then just gets, I mean, just smacked. I mean, yeah. even the English dub, I think both actually uh, make fun of Krillin at this point, because Krillin says something like, can I at least land one good punch? Because he does nothing in this movie. <laughs> yeah, he really doesn't, but he didn't get peed on in this movie, so that's a plus. That's true. They Their efforts did buy Goku the time that he needed, and so he throws the spirit bomb, it repels uh, Dr. Wheelow's giant beam, and then it blows Dr. Wheelow the hell up. Uh, and then the the pillar, whatever the whatever undescribed, undefined uh, pillar, blows up uh, the base beneath there. So Dr. Wheelow becomes the first villain ever killed by the spirit bomb. Goku had used it against Vegeta, but it did not kill him. Um, it does manage to uh, do the job against Dr. Wheelow. And, spoiler alerts for the next t- two episodes of Kyo Cinema... This movie is the first of three in a row where the villains are killed by Goku using the spirit bomb. So this is how the next two movies are also going to end. Which is pretty nuts. I mean, like with the versatility of these fighters at this point, they've got a lot of tricks in their bag. The fact that they use the same thing to take out three villains in a row. ah, I don't like that. I tell you, too, I have a note in here that's just silly where I just said real scientists all over the world are freaking the hell out right now. (laughs) Because if you think about the science that we have, the science capabilities of just the U.S. for now, if something were to enter our atmosphere or be in our orbit, we would know about it. So the, the, the giant robot in space, unidentified object, immediate red flags. No telling what, uh, seismographs are doing in this region of the world. Like things are shooting down from space. There's light, like catastrophic light flashes and all this stuff. Scientists have got to be like, what is going on? Like, is yeah. this is this it? Is this the end? <laughs> and that's, that's got to be true point. of like every Dragon Ball movie. Of or all like time. almost every episode. I have never considered seismographs in a Dragon Ball universe. But I guess like anytime they go off to just fight in a remote place, they do it so people don't know or don't get hurt. Like someone somewhere has to be seeing this and just be like, what is happening all of the time? And I would think that when they wish for things to be kind of like retconned, that there are all these things the dragon does that I never considered, like wipe video footage and seismographs and like all kinds of data that must exist out there, you know? Yeah, I just, the 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 
the things that go on in these movies in this show cannot have escaped the scientific community. Full stop. For and sure. This, this, I don't know why it was that it, it clicked in my brain in this movie, but I was like, good Lord, every instrument that we own would be like, the world is coming to an end. <laughs> <laughs> I have never thought about that. That's incredible. Nice thought. Well, we are winding the movie down here. They're all standing outside in the Arctic with less clothes than they than any of them had on earlier, really, but yet no one is cold anymore. Um, Goku thanks everybody for their help. Piccolo says that they should be thanking Gohan again. Uh, and then the narrator is really funny because in the English it just says, that piece won't last long. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Japanese... It says, as the appetites of mankind become exposed, another Dr. Wheelow may crop up somewhere. And I was like, yes, he is not the last evil scientist that messes around with uh, bioengineering human beings that we, will come, that we will run into in this particular anime. Right, right. Yeah, we also, there's a really funny moment here, too, where uh, even Master Oshi's like, you know, I did like that Wheelow for one thing. He thought I was the world's strongest. And, of course, Balm was like, oh, well, I guess nobody told him you're just a dirty old man. And everyone laughs, and it cuts to credits. That's a good way everyone to end the movie. Everyone laughs for a long period of time. There's like 40 <laughs> seconds of them just giggling at the it's end like, of this movie. It's this weird, sad acceptance, I think, where everyone's just like, well, we accept you, Roshi, but we don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, fun trivia before we get into some of our segments here. This is the only Dragon Ball Z movie that does not feature any character transforming. I did not know that. Does did Kaioken you? not consider? See, I don't like that fact because in my mind, Kaioken is a transformation. No, it's a multiplier. It's not. It's uh, not a specifically a transformation. I, I wouldn't guess. call Kaioken a transformation. I guess I. I feel like when he goes Kaioken, it's a transformation because he has to activate it. He's transforming into the Kaioken version of himself. But I can understand it being multiplier. I guess. Yeah, I'll let that. I, one I mean, I treat it. I've always thought of it as just like. We, we've mentioned before that his power rises when he does something like the Kamehameha. And so the Kaioken is it's something just a similar. It's a, yeah, yeah, a technique, yeah, not a transformation. Okay. I'll give you that. But when I, because I, I had read that online and I was like, I definitely feel like Kaioken's a transformation. And maybe, yeah, okay. I won't, I won't harp on that one. <laughs> Did you have any <laughs> more fun trivia for this movie? Um, there was a moment when Wheelow shows up uh, that if you're listening to the sci-fi dub, they're supposed to be playing Frieza's uh, intro music, but I don't know. I listened to the different versions, and I didn't really catch Frieza's, and I played a comparison, so I don't know if that's someone just hearing something or a confirmed like fact, uh, but outside of that, I think that was were really the only ones uh, that I had for trivia. There wasn't a whole lot out there that we didn't already say. Uh, one thing I did thought was kind of interesting apparently dr wheelow is a character in dragon ball heroes which is like an ongoing show based on a game that i never played sounds really cool uh but he is a character named dr w apparently spoilers maybe i'm not sure dr dubs which is kind of cool like the fact that wheelow's still around yeah definitely i mean he's a he's a neat villain I really like the the sci-fi feel of this particular movie, but I'll I'll Me get too. into that a little bit more when we give it our official ratings. Let's talk about the Raditz scale. This has actually been the easiest Raditz scale so far because I yeah. only found one power uh, level uh, listed for Doctor Wheelow. Same uh, well, here, at least an official one. Yeah, I, I it seemed like for all of the other ones, I've seen probably at least five different sources that state something, but this one was very plain and simple. Four different websites all said that his power level was included in like a pamphlet for the next movie. So, what did you find, Adkins? That his official power rating uh, power rating was thirty nine thousand. 
And what that means is you take that number and you divide it by Raditz's power, um, which uh, we've been working with uh, the 1500, and that comes out to exactly 26. So Dr. Wheelow equals 26 Raditzes or Radi. Like and what's eye. crazy about that particular number two is that the last movie, Dead Zone, Garlic Jr., we had at less than one. So in the span of a single movie, less than 12 months apart, you go from less than one to 26 times Raditz's power. Yeah, but I feel like that it almost matches with the anime because Goku goes and trains with uh, King Kai. And by the time he comes back, he's doing Kaioken times four. And he's, his power level is insane at that point, I feel like. Like, it's pretty high. So it, I feel like that tracks. That makes sense. Oh, yeah. Listen, I, the, the power creep is real in Dragon Ball Z. I mean, yeah. I mean, it created it, power creep, right? Yeah. It's, it gets wild. This is not going to be the biggest jump between no. numbers that we experience from one movie to the next, guaranteed. guaranteed it's just yeah. a striking from one movie to the next that we see it this quickly, I guess, or it escalate this fast. Yeah, that's fair. But I will, will say, I think 26 Rat-Eye could defeat Dr. Wheelow for sure. See, I was thinking about this the other day. Here's where I think, the, especially the deeper we get into the movies, the less that that becomes true. Because we think that more of a smaller power level can overwhelm one of a much greater power level. I don't know that the anime itself bears that out because there are instances where higher powered individuals get swarmed by lower powered ones and do just fine, if not kick every single ass in their vicinity. No, I totally agree. Like, no way a thousand Raditzes or Radai could beat a Frieza. Like, I don't think Raditz will ever beat Frieza, no matter how many Radai there are. But I feel like 26 Radai could beat Wheelow in this instance. I feel like he could get overwhelmed and overpowered. He's not yeah. so crazy powerful that, like, he's Frieza's level yet, you know? Yeah, we start getting into that question where it's like, would you rather, rather fight a hundred chicken-sized elephants or one elephant-sized chicken. <laughs> True, you <know>? yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for and sure. It, it, just gets, it gets silly, but I think as far as like the anime is concerned, I don't know where the tipping point is exactly because neither does the show, probably. Right. But there co definitely comes a point where somebody who is of a, a significantly higher power level can take peons, I mean, just nearly an infinite number of them all at once and do totally fine. That's very true. When it comes to holler minutes, this movie clocks in at 1.95, just shy of two minutes of holler minutes, which is about a minute less than Dead Zone. Really? Uh, I can attribute almost all of that due to the fact that, number one, when Gohan gets angry in this movie, he is a lot less shouty than he was in Dead Zone. And number two, Piccolo is eerily quiet when he's under uh, Dr. Wheelow's control. And Piccolo is known to be a shouty boy as well, especially in Dead Zone. That's really funny. I would have pegged this one longer. I didn't actually take any notes on Holler Minutes uh, because I know you've got your own formula, so I don't touch that. But I would have thought this one was at least a minute longer than Dead Zone, just based off like a guess. Well, and to be frank, and I think I've said this before, if I were to try to calculate Holler Minutes for the world's strongest again, the it, number's probably going to be different. But that's I, at least go into it with a, a loose idea of here's what qualifies and here's what doesn't. And I came out with 1.95 total holler minutes. Uh, before we get into the movie ratings, which we will close down this episode with, I wanted to talk about how this movie might've been different if it were a series of episodes versus a, a roughly 60 minute movie. 
Um, so I had for sure that we would have gotten more drawn out fights between both Goku and the three special bio men. Oh, yeah. And also the fight between Goku and Piccolo, I think, would have been longer. I think they would have given that more space. I agree with uh, that. Because that is a highly anticipated you know, basically rematch for a, for Dragon Ball fans. That's know? a three episode fight for sure. Yeah, uh, definitely longer than one, and it could easily fit in just like half an episode um, worth of time based on screen time in this particular movie. Yeah, that would that's way too fast for. And I think that the special bio men, I don't, I forget the bio warriors. I think that they would have been given a little bit more room to breathe. But I also am totally cool with them being much shorter affairs because they were outclassed by goku like those fights don't need to go on long you got their little gimmick and then you saw them defeated that was good enough for me so i I was fine with how short those fights actually were but i do think that the anime would have let those breathe a little bit more as well do you think roshi would have been as much of a prominent character if it had been in the tv show i think two things about roshi i think that his fight against the bio warriors might have gone on a little longer and I also think that they would have given some screen time to him escaping wherever it was that he was, where they said that he was being transformed into a bio warrior. Yeah. Because all we get in this movie is a scene of him limping or coming down a, uh, a flight of stairs, holding one of his arms, like a, literally a second. And then a couple minutes later, he chops off Dr. Cochin's arms. And he's so like I think totally we okay. Had, yeah. I think we would have seen more of that. Um and then I also think that, of course, much, much more time would have been spent collecting energy for the spirit bomb. Oh, of course. Be- yeah, because that's how the show works. Uh, and then again, I think Gohan's uh, daydream likely hits the cutting room floor. I don't think that that would have flown in the anime itself. I am willing to bet that King Kai would have made an appearance if this had been in the anime. Oh, that's a good. Yeah. Yeah, you're because probably, like yeah, anytime... he definitely would have entered interjected himself telepathically right yeah yeah anytime that goku does the spirit bomb king kai is always right there behind like him telepathically like cheering him on or telling him something i mean i definitely feel like king kai and his gang on his little planet um oh what what are their names the cricket i want to say his name is jiminy and gregory gregory jeez i was close jiminy uh jiminy cricket jiminy cricket uh yeah gregory and bubbles i know totally wrong wrong fandom uh but yeah i definitely think they would have made an appearance for sure and i feel like tien and chaozu should have been there as well just because they're often associated with being in like these cold mountains i feel like you see them all the time in kind of like remote locations like that i feel like they would have definitely made an appearance in the anime but there are no waterfalls that's tien's favorite training item it is it (laughs) is but occasionally you'll see the mountain mountain did I, uh, this, this is totally kind of off topic right here, right before we get to the, the ratings, but have I told you about the podcast, uh, Eric hates Dragon Ball Z? Yeah, I think you have mentioned that to me. Okay. So the funniest episodes are the ones that have the titular Eric on and they do, uh, they do, uh, like arcs in review. And for the end of the Saiyan saga, they kept asking, they, they were talking to him about the Kaioken. And so they're like, okay, so Goku does this Kaioken. And then a little while later, they were like, and then Goku uses his new strongest move of all time. Can you guess what it is? And Eric's like, I don't know what it is. And it's like, it's Kaioken. 
but times two. And then later on, they're like, and then Goku uses his new strongest technique of all time. And Eric's like, oh my God, if it's freaking Kaioken times three, I'm quitting this show. And they're like, it is Goku. It is Kaioken times three. It's just so funny listening to him just be like, there's no freaking way they just keep adding a number and calling it a new thing. <laughs> well, but if it's a multiplier, that makes sense, I guess. Yeah. It's you just know? the way that he reacts to That's that funny. progression is so freaking funny. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, gosh. That is great. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's awesome. Go check out that All show right. if you like Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z stuff. They yes. do a really good job over there. Highly recommend it. I think they cover five episodes at a time and then do the um, the end of arc reviews with Eric. And those are by far and away my favorite, but I do listen to them all. Let's let's uh, wrap up our episode, man. Let's talk about uh, how many stars you are going to give the world's strongest. Hit me. So I am going to go with uh, four. I, I like this movie. I, I think it's above average. I think there are a handful of things that are like kind of weird about the, the main villains that I just, I'm like, I feel like they would just do it this way, but science explains it all away. Uh, but I think solid four out of seven. It's, it's definitely a good movie. Definitely worth a watch. Four and a half if you are going to watch the sci-fi dubbed version that Nathan Johnson added in. I think that was a, a definitely like value added. I agree. I my one score this time is a four point five. I think that the sci-fi flavor really does it for me in this one. I do think that the story struggles in some places with like things that go unexplained or unproven. Um, but it's it's an enjoyable watch that animation for Goku's Kaiokens in this in this movie are so freaking good. The fighting um, animation talk- in general is so good in this one. Yeah, I mean it's it is a really great movie to watch. There are some places where it it definitely drags when Goku's charging up the spirit bomb and you're just looking at like landscape paintings for a solid 30 seconds where yeah. I'm like we don't need all that, especially right. when it's not dynamic. Like when they do it when he does it any other time really you see the little balls of light fly, you know fluttering up. We don't get that in this movie, so it feels really empty. Um, but I, I really dug it, man. Uh, the the Goku versus uh, Piccolo fight is there as a, a little bit of fan service as well. And like you said, all the fights are really cool. Even though many of them are really short, um, it is cool that you get to see how strong Wheelo is when he just tanks three Kamehamehas from yeah. you know the, the, the entire turtle school, pretty much. Um, and then just does fine against Kaioken times four and it has to result to the spear bomb. Like it all makes sense as far as like him being strong and stuff. I thought it was fun. I, I don't know that I like it as much as dead zone. I think that I would much more readily watch dead zone and I gave dead zone a five. So I, I had to rate it a little below that. Yeah. I like, I like dead zone a lot again because of the nostalgia. That was my first DBZ movie. It's going to rank really high for me. Uh, now I'll be honest. The next movie that we're watching is uh, tree of might, which I think I've seen once, like maybe 20 years ago. So I don't know how that one's going to hold up for me. I- I'm going to be able to kind of see that one again for the first time. It's been a-, a really long time since I watched it. I am going into it feeling like tree of might was one of my favorites out of the original Z movies. And I'm curious to see if that sentiment holds up because it it has been a long time since I've seen it, but it does stick out in my mind as one that I thought was just real good. Like top 10, top five material, maybe including some of the movies that have come out since then. So I'm anxious to see if uh, my, my fond memories of this movie over the others uh, manages to persist as we watch Dragon Ball Z colon, the Tree of Might, and cover it in two weeks' time here on Kyo Cinema. 
And if you were looking for something to listen to next Monday, check out Almighty Podcast. It is our My Hero Academia podcast. So if you like Dragon Ball Z, chances are you probably enjoy My Hero Academia. Uh, but we've been covering that now for a very long time. In fact, we are all the way through season five and we are back into Vigilantes, which is like a side story that's currently just in manga format. So check it out. We have a blast over there. And if you enjoyed this episode, think about leaving us an iTunes review. We'd really appreciate it. Otherwise, we'll see you in two weeks. That's right. See you guys. Bye.